78% of us have physical symptoms of stress. My guest, Rebecca Lyons, is here. We feel like we're on this, basically, this hamster wheel that we can't jump off of. We're actually living beyond the boundaries of rhythm. Anxiety and panic attacks, depression, all of that, I think we're struggling with so much as a country. What's right, what's wrong, what's confused, and what's missing. Like, if you can answer those four questions, you can actually make some changes. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Rachel Cruz Show podcast. So glad that you're here. And today I want to talk about emotions and how they affect our money and our life because, well, we all have emotions. And of all the things that I'm learning is that they are impact so many of our decisions. I had Dr. Chip Dodd on a few episodes ago and he talked all about emotions, you guys. And remember, no emotion is bad. All emotions have a healthy side and an unhealthy side. But being able to name it and know it is so, so crucial. So I'm going to use one of mine and my girl's favorite Disney movies, Inside Out, to teach us all about emotional spending and what it can do to us. Oh my gosh, it's so real. And then I'm going to give some advice to a woman in my Facebook community who's facing a very emotional moment in her life. But first, I'm going to bring on Rebecca Lyons. I interviewed her and we talked a lot about fear and anxiety. And man, it is such a powerful interview. These are two emotions that a lot of people in our country are dealing with as we speak. So if that's you, take a listen because man, it is so good. So, so good. Well, hey, you guys, I am so excited about this episode. And my guest sitting right here, Rebecca Lyons, is here. And she's an author, a speaker, a mom, and just has incredible insight into something that I think we're struggling with so much as a country. I hear stats and stats around depression, anxiety, stress, Mm -hmm. and thanks to the pandemic. That's only escalated. I know. It just magnifies (laughs) it all. Magnifies it all. So you have a really personal story in regards specifically with panic attacks, anxiety, all of that. So kind of tell, because a lot of your work comes from your story, right? It's been a decade, 2010. We decided it'd be really fun to move from the suburbs of Atlanta to New York City. Very logical to do when you have a four, seven, and (laughs) nine-year-old. Everyone else usually leaves the city at that point. We're entering. I'm just going to dive in. (laughs) Yes. And so um, I found about four months into my time there, um, you know, we were in the suburbs. We had, you know, a house with a driveway and a minivan and all the things you do, right, when you have littles. And we get to the city, you have 8 million people in 11 miles. Um, There is no such thing as personal space. Mm. And um, we were in an apartment on the Upper East Side. And um, I just remember coming to grips with the fact that um, even my oldest son, who was nine at the time, he has a Down syndrome diagnosis. He would, we would start walking. He'd go, car, car. Like, where's the car? And where's the little video screen that pops down? Yeah, that's right. That's right. I need my minivan. I need my minivan. (laughs) So I was like, bud, you and me together are feeling the same thing. So four months into my time in New York, I actually had my first panic attack. Mm. And it was on a flight, landing in LaGuardia around midnight. We Mm -hmm. had crazy turbulence. I had gone back to Atlanta. I went back to visit. And then coming back home, and something rose in me. I'd never had something like this before. Mm -hmm. Just kind of soles of my feet all the way, all the way up. And I just felt gripped in fear. Like, just this— like and it and for me, my anxiety was rooted in claustrophobia, though I wouldn't have known it then. It was always yeah. when I felt this metaphor being trapped. Mm. I was less afraid of the turbulence and us crashing than yeah. I was like, when this thing lands, I'm going to be trapped on the back of this plane. Like I got to yes. get out of here. 
So I start like running to the front of the plane while we're doing this at, at midnight. Because <laughs> you're just like, I attendants like, what are you doing? And I'm like, you know, just barreling <laughs> towards her. And I just remember saying panic. And I couldn't, I couldn't stop it. Mm. I think for those who have had an anxiety attack or people are like, what are the, what are the differences on yep. that continuum from anxiety to full-blown panic disorder? Yep. It's when you really have no um, ability to control something that kind of takes over. Um, and it's and for a lot of people, it might look like um, like racing heart, shortness of breath. You yes. might feel like you're suffocating or you're having a heart attack or whatever. Well, I've had one. Okay. Panic attack in my entire life. And it was, this was probably, probably 10 years ago. We were on a family cruise on a trip with yeah. the family. And we, and my dad told us the story of this medical diagnosis that a child that we knew oh. got and I just kind of felt this, like, thing in my body. And I was like, oh, that's weird. So we get off the ship. And I remember we go get into a van to do this tour oh, at some place. And I was in the back. And I, I literally, I, like, started yelling. I was like, I got to get out. I have yeah. to get out. I did. And I, yeah. and I get off to the side of the road. And I thought I was having a heart attack. Yeah, I thought I was right. dying. Yeah. I really did. I was like, because I had no clue. I had no, yeah. I didn't know what a panic attack I mean, none of that. Yeah. And my sweet mom, she said next to me, she was like, you're having a panic attack, Rachel. <laughs> you are having a panic attack. You're okay. And I was like, oh, I can't. I was like, oh, I think I'm dying. Like, oh, it was. Yeah, Rebecca, it went, and I haven't had it since, thank God. Good, but good. the people that struggle with it, though, like, yeah. I have such empathy for it because that was one of the most scary. Vulnerable. Uh, uh, like, just, like, you're just, you're, you can't. Paralyzing. I mean, yeah, trapped feeling. Yeah, I, yeah. So I totally get it. I mean, from well, that. And, and notice your response was like, I got to get out. I got to get out. Like, I got to get, move, move, move. Oh. Like, like something about the get, escaping the environment yes. helps you kind of like figure out what is happening. Yeah. I don't know. And so <laughs> for me, because it was rooted in that trapped thing, and we were now in New York, mm. and um, it consists of planes, trains, elevators, subways, and crowds— you know, I realized Jeez. this turned into like a full-blown um, disorder. Yeah. It lasted about 18 months. It was Ugh. everywhere I would go. I would get on a, you know, a subway to take two train stops to my daughter's school because she was in the play. And I would like try to claw the doors back open. I mean, I was that person. Yes. Right? I'd jump on the elevator and then a couple more people come. I would jump back off and uh -huh. I would take nine flights of stairs. You just couldn't because, do it. Because— um, I was less afraid that, obviously, I knew logically that I wasn't going to suffocate in the elevator ride. Sure. Um, but something about what that fear represented, I was afraid of myself, mm. of being overcome. Like, it was like, I knew logically I'm not dying, but something about the fear just descending, um, I just felt powerless to it. Mm. So I would just try to avoid it at all costs. And this lasted for a long time, and then— I do remember September 20th of 2011. I literally wrote the date down. Wow. Um, it had been over a year later. And um, it was the middle of the night, and I woke out of a dream. And no longer siloed to small spaces. I would just, you know, be walking the playground or in my own bedroom at night. Like, mm. it started to just get bigger. Like, fear grows, right? Yes. If you don't combat fear with exposure and, like, tackling it head on, it grows. Yeah. And so um, I remember waking up, and my, uh, my husband Gabe, he started praying. And then I really felt like God just gave me words. And I just said, rescue me, deliver me. I cannot do this without you. And mm. in that moment, my body just flattened on the bed and all was done. And I was calm, and I and I like it was the first time I didn't have to escape. Wow! To calm down, I just was like literally like nothing's moving in the dark but my eyeballs. <laughs> and I was like, "Did you see that? <laughs> yeah, what just happened? What just happened?" And Gabe's like, "You stopped." And I remember at the time I wouldn't have called it healing or anything like that because I just didn't know what was going on. But I definitely felt like I was flooded with peace, mm. and it very much to me was a peace of God. It was this kind of sense of like, "Okay, you are going to spin out." I'm going to actually do what you've asked me to do. I'm going to rescue you. Mm. And 
And from that day forward, I stepped out of my apartment the next day, and I was just like, did it take? I don't know. I'm going to get back on a subway. And I didn't have another one for seven years. Oh, wow. And that began my writing about it and studying mental health and learning one in four of us have, um, are, you know, are having to get treatment for anxiety or depression, you know. And that was that was— 11, that was nine years ago. Which is probably more taboo. Now I feel yeah. like everyone's like, oh, yeah. I struggle with things. Now I feel everyone's like, like passing out their shrink's phone. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's it's right. like, you need a recipe. You need my psychiatrist. You know? <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. So it's definitely more mainstream, especially in areas of faith where it was yeah. very much shame. Mm-hmm. And I actually believe that the vulnerability of talking about it just um, de- um, escalated the power that fear can have, right? You're like, oh, we're going to name fear. We're going to give fear a name. And then we're going to start to attack it yeah. and know how to address it. And so that was part of the practice for me from that point forward. Like, while I might not be gripped in fear at every moment, I know the muscle memory is there. Yes. I know that I still am not keen on going descending to the subway like seven floors underground to go to Queens. Like, mm-hmm. I don't want to do that. And so sometimes I would do it afterwards, and I would get on it, and I would go like— Jesus, 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 Jesus. You know, like, I'm just like, whatever the verse like, I find, is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah like, just, like, just whatever I needed to calm or breathing exercises. But ultimately, it just led to um, basically a mental health trilogy that I wrote. <laughs> it wasn't planned to be that way, but I wrote three books about it subsequently about just different ways to, to walk in freedom. And this last one, Rhythms of Renewal, was really just about um, how do you trade that stress anxiety mm. and anxiety for a life of peace and purpose? What practical steps? Because I kept talking to a lot of listeners or readers um, that would say, okay, I feel like I'm experiencing that rescue moment, but now what? How yes. do I take agency every day to live in a life for sustained emotional health? And so that's kind of really been my journey mm-hmm. now. It's just helping people go like, this is like literally one whisper away. It's one step away. You can take agency every morning that you wake up, how you start your day, yeah. how you move your body, all those good things. Which is huge. And you have those rhythms that I want yeah. to talk about. But for you, like as you're studying all of this and you look at our world today, 2020, why do you think anxiety and you know, panic attacks, depression, all of that, that mental health is so escalated. Like, it's increased so much. I don't know if it's always been like that. And like we said earlier, we're willing to talk about it now. Or if it's the pressures of society. Like, what do you think it is? Because I feel like it's just, it's rampant. Like, I have so many friends that struggle with it. Yes, it definitely has escalated in the last 20 years. Partly since we have, you know, a smartphone attached to us at all times. So when you think about it, 100 years ago, up until about 1920, when we had the Industrial Revolution, people actually— sat under the boundaries of the circadian rhythm. You have sunrise that elicit, that that emits um, blue light that tells you to wake up, and you have sunset that emits red light, which is natural melatonin for your body. Mm. It's as if God kind of knew what he was doing, right? <laughs> when he created, he's yeah. kind of he's well, like, intentional. This, he's like, this is what is an actual sustainable pace for a human being. Yes. But then we created factories, and then all of a sudden, that phrase always on was meant for machines because it was more efficient to keep them running through the night than to power them back up in the morning. Mm problem is we're not machines. And so we've got that mantra of always being on and working a little harder and pushing ourselves a little more. And then we wonder why now American Institute of Society says, um, of stress says that 78% of us have physical symptoms of stress. So coming Mm. into COVID, back before March, back before I was writing this book, almost four out of five of us were experiencing sleepless nights, racing thoughts, shallow labored breathing when you open your iCal (laughs) or whatever your your thing is. Um, For me, it was looking at my calendar. Um, 
And we we feel like we're on this, basically this hamster wheel that we can't jump off of because it's all good things often. And more good things yield more good things like invitations and opportunities. And we want to say yes to all those things. But in the end, we're actually living beyond the boundaries of rhythm. Mm. We're living beyond the boundaries of what we're actually, of where we're actually able to flourish. So instead of thriving with all those opportunities, we're actually burning out. Okay, I hear from you guys all the time that you're looking for a side hustle to help you pay down debt and build your emergency fund. Well, I've got the answer. Just Between Friends is a consignment marketplace that will help you find cash in your kids' closets. I sell my kids outgrown clothes, toys, and gear using consignment, and Just Between Friends makes it super simple. The average seller with JBF brings in $300 to $400 per sale. So go to jbf.com to get started and find cash in your closet today. That's jbfsale.com. And I'm sensing a theme too from people that they are pulling back. Like I feel like for a while, the hustle was celebrated so much. Yeah. Right? Like, like you can have it all. Yeah, go, 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 you can, go, go, but go. You're gonna, you know, yeah, crash you're eventually gonna crash. <laughs> yeah. And I think people are just more heightened and aware of taking care of themselves. Yes. And just knowing that yes. I think is is huge. So, so people that out there that may be struggling with, you know, again, that anxiety, that depression, that stress. What is the rhythm? What's yeah. the rhythm to put into our lives to help us kind of break that cycle? Sure. So it took about a decade for me to really kind of hone it and keep it simple because I'm not trying to complicate things. Nobody needs another to-do list right now. Um, but there's the, essentially four rhythms. Um, rest, restore, connect, create. So rest and restore are input rhythms. And those are the ones that are lacking in our lives usually. That's why we always output connect and create. Like we're you, I mean, connect is your healthiest rhythm. Like you're so great with people and you're dynamic. And, and then the create is often attached to our vocational health. So we're killing it at work, but we're not actually sleeping at night, right? Or we're not eating well, we're not taking care of our bodies. So what happens is if we just focus on the output rhythms, that's when we that's when we show anxiety. That's mm-hmm. when anxiety ramps because we're always just keeping up. We're just kind of keeping our head above water, but there's not really a replenishment cycle that actually is coming out of the overflow. So this is kind of biblical when you think about it. You've got rest and restore. So rest is all about your inner life, your spiritual health. Like, who am I? Am I okay? Or God and I okay? Um, I In that section, I talk about routines for deep sleep or morning routine. Like, how do you begin? Yeah. That first hour sets the framework for the next 15 um, things like Sabbath. Do you take time away from your phone? Do you take a tech detox? You know, do you take mm. inventory of your life? And that's the, I want to invite the reader into that right away. It's like, what's right, what's wrong, what's confused, and what's missing? Like, if you can answer those four questions, you can actually make some changes. And I think COVID has been the environment to invite people to do that. Yes, In fact, there was sure. a survey about uh, six weeks ago that said 43% surveyed said that their lives had actually improved. Their mental health had actually improved since March, only because they had a hard stop of all the things that were overwhelming, right? Amen. And so (laughs) you're like, like, I get to work in my PJs for the next few weeks. Are you serious? Um, Except with like from here up looking professional. (laughs) Always always the teased hair, but with the gym shorts on. Yeah, for sure. And it was almost like like society got to make a collective exhale. And I'm not saying it hasn't been hard. It hasn't been lost. I'm not dis- diminishing that whatsoever. But the blessing of it, if we look at it that way, is like you have been given permission this year to reorient, re- reprioritize, um, 
just kind of gently get out of the things that you committed to maybe five years ago that you're still doing out of obligation. Just going like, I'm going to actually think through. I mean, I, this book came out in October, and I was remembering last fall before this. I was trying to convince everybody they needed rhythms for emotional health. And they're like, rhythms? Like, how do you spell rhythm? Like, it was like, it's like, it wasn't language we were using a lot. And then March hit and everybody's like, I'm taking walks every day. I'm cooking. I'm working with my hands. I'm like constructing something in my yard, right? I'm getting quality time with my people. Um, all of a sudden, it was taking us back to the simplicity of what it means to be human. And yes. I think that no one wants to re-enter life the way we entered it. Like when we were living the lives we wanted going into COVID, still four out of five of us were stressed out. So I think that's the challenge for us in this year is like, can we not only pivot professionally, can we pivot personally? Can we reorient in such a way that we're like going to bring the best versions of ourselves coming out of this? Yes. I, mean, I hope so. I know for me personally, I was supposed to be in 30 cities this year and I was in seven up until March. Yeah. And I, I even think about like how that's impacted me as a mother of four and 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 what we're and the priorities of work and home and how to how to how to be a partner with my husband in it. Yeah. So we're all having to take inventory in that way. And I think it's really good for us to do that. Yeah, I think it did. It forced us to almost do exactly what you're saying, to do those rhythms. COVID did. So like yeah. the rest, right? Yes, rest, rest restore, restore. Which is gosh, the restore part. I think so. And the in the 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 tech detox yeah, and the yeah, text yeah. detox, all of that, you guys, like yeah. we talk about so much on the show, how financially people get in such trouble because they are, they're addicted to their phone. They're yeah. seeing what all's available. They're seeing what everyone has, all of it, right? It's like yeah. that comparison thing oh, is yes. so stressful. It's a never ending game. And to like, just have hard stops with it. Mm-hmm. It's not just good for your money, you guys. It's good for your soul. It's good, yeah. it's good for that renewal. Yeah. Comparison is a thief of joy. Yes. Like a lot it. of us have heard that. We yeah. know that, but that's what the scroll does. You always look at somebody's life who's better than yours. Yes. And you always think, well, what do I need to do? And that, and we know that money doesn't bring like that inner joy. Like it helps make life more like work. It makes it work. Yes, for sure. But, but in the end, like let's make sure that we're being present with our people and we're being honest with ourselves. Yes. About, like, and you're able to stuff. do that connection mm-hmm. with your people when you do rest mm-hmm. and restore and that connection's there and then the creativity. Yeah, the creates last because you want to collaborate with the people you love and yeah. it, help, it helps if you're in good relationships yes, with them. Right? Yes, yes. So it kind of builds on itself. That's so great. Okay, so what advice do you have? Um, kind of a twofold question. For people that maybe are struggling, they have those they have those mm-hmm. panic attacks. They have those moments. They're like, I just can't. Like, it really is debilitating for yeah. them. That's real for so many yeah. people. And then if you're a parent mm-hmm. and you see your kids struggling with yeah. it, what do you do? That's good. That's good. Often, you know, if a parent struggles with it, a child is, uh, I think, three times more likely to struggle with it. Okay, can we talk about that for a second? Yeah. So is that biological? Is that environment? I think it's both. Okay. You know, it could be. You know, I mean, I had a father who was more of a warrior than my mom. And I yeah. know that I, I kind of picked some of that up about the same age that I saw him pick that up in midlife. Mm-hmm. So I do think there is some hereditary part to it. But yeah. I also do think it's the culture we create at home, how we talk about things and the way we the way we phrase things even like, oh, well, I'm concerned or I'm worried or I'm, I'm you know what I mean? Like yeah. the more we vocalize that, the kids pick up on that. They're sponges. We think they're resilient, which they are until they aren't. At some point, they're going to hit like that 
tween year where it's going to really kind of settle in. Mm-hmm. And the um, onset of anxiety in kids used to be age eight, and now it's age six. Oh, it's um, like and, going down. Right. Wow. And because school, because of certain, like, environmental pressures, peer pressures, social grades, all of that. So I think this is a universal conversation in the classroom. It's amongst teachers. It's amongst families and, and children's counselors. It's like, it's a family thing, right? Yeah, for and sure. And it's a community thing. And I, yeah, and again, I'm not a parent of a teen. You are, so you can correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> but I even look back, even when I was in high school, which was not too long ago, but enough away that I can, like, Girl, at, least, <laughs> at least contrast. But I'm like, man, I mean, I feel like when I was in high school, like, some people did competitive sports, some didn't. You kind of went to the school play. We'd go to Sonic, like this yes. drive-in food thing on Tuesday. I don't know. It was just, like, our grades were important, but my parents were not right. big on, like, if you don't make straight A's— you're yes. going to be grounded for the rest of your life. Thank God. I, like, would never leave the house. I was right. not a straight-A student. But, you know, like, I don't know. It just was—it felt lighter. And I hear parents today with teenagers mm-hmm. talk about, oh, no, they have to—they're in they're in two sports. They're doing music. Uh, they have to get good grades because they got to go to a good college. And they're doing this and this. And the kid is— is so stressed. So the yeah, amount it's, of it's pressure, ramped. it's ramped yes. in, in high school. And, and is that just like a well? First of all, thing? they're like, the first generation to be raised in social media, right? Uh, so for let's God bless, let's start them. like That's we, so true. you know, <laughs> like for us, like social media is like living your whole life in seventh grade, right? Yes. Like, like no, 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 I'm out. <laughs> Could you imagine being in seventh yeah. grade with social media? Yeah. I would die. No, no, I would I'm, not be. I'm, a, I've I would been not, a parent of a daughter doing that. And I would not be. It was not great for her or me or anyone. Right. Um. So let's. So I, it gives me a lot of empathy for yes. their generation because I was not raised in a popularity contest that was public for, you know, at all times. Um, so that's one thing. So, I, I mean, we've discouraged, I mean, as parents, you really can set the tone. You can. Mm-hmm. It might feel like it's too late and your kids are less like they're always. But you can take some agency. We we got out the old phone contract that we had gotten them like a couple years ago before <laughs> the phone. We're like, we reprinted it literally last week. And we had them reread what they had agreed to and signed. And they're like, wow, we're not doing any of this. <laughs> we're like, that's exactly right. And so if you want to keep your phones, we're going to re-up the contract. Because um, I, I think what happens is just over time, things slide. Everyone's busy. And then everyone's a little irritable. And you're just kind of making amends for things that really never should have been there in the first place. And we're all guilty of it. Mm-hmm. It's not my kid's fault. It's me too being like, yeah, it's fine, whatever. Because um, we're tired. Yes, and, um, yes, for but sure. But yet in the end, when we when we stripped those things, we got real diligent again about like no phone for 24 hours over the weekend. Yeah. That's big. And I That's got, big. I got a 15, 17, and 19. They're not happy with you, I'm sure. <laughs> not, but so the way we've framed it <laughs> is like, like Pierce is leaving home in a year. Um, we want, we have like, you know, 25 Saturdays, right? Or, mm. you know, whatever that looks like between Christmas and next August. So we were kind of just saying like, um, we want to make sure that these are times that are proactively like connecting and like having everybody weigh in on what are the kind of things you love to do as a family. And like, let's, Let's make it more about what we get to do versus, like, as as a unit versus yes. as a team versus what you don't get to do there. Um, it doesn't mean you can't have a social life. It's just that um, there needs to be for them a, a setting it down and, like, quieting their heart. Because a lot of times, if you're anxious or your kids are anxious, you don't know why. Because mm-hmm. you're not getting enough headspace to just stop and ask and give the fear a yes. name. And I, that's my—that would be my counsel is, like, where, when you feel the anxiety, it, it is rooted in something. And I would just ask you to pause and go, like, help me give the fear a name. So for me, my name was overwhelm, and it would always be connected to my schedule because my schedule didn't have enough margin 
And it always had me kind of doing more and more and more. And I was a high-capacity person, so I was hanging with it, but I was slowly kind of just really, like, losing the ability to breathe. Mm. And so I would just counsel you, like, whatever it is that triggers this in you, um, I would isolate that, kind of put a circle around it, and go, okay, this is where we need to make real change. Mm. Maybe it's conflict with a spouse or a child. Maybe, you know, whatever it is, yeah. name it and give attention to it. Get in counseling if you need to, whatever that looks like, um, and get on the other side of what that might look like as it walks in healing. Yes, for sure. And I, Chip Dodd was on the show. I love Chip Dodd. Do it. Oh, he's the best. I'm obsessed Gosh. with this book. I've taken our whole coaching community oh, it's through it. so good. Multiple times. But I was thinking about it, like yeah. uh, Voice of the Heart with fear specifically, that on one side, it's rage. Mm-hmm. And on the other side, it's anxiety yeah. and how he talks about, you know, that internal mm-hmm. stirring. Yes. It starts, that anxiousness is yes. what comes. It comes totally yes. out of fear. Totally out of totally fear. Totally out of fear. But the good thing about fear that he says is that the other side of it, what does it lead to? It leads to wisdom. Yes. Right? So if fear is the beginning of wisdom. All of a sudden, you're like, okay, so fear on its own is not great. But where it takes me is like— Wisdom says, I'm looking at my life. I'm giving it—I'm I'm circling where the, the tension points are. I'm going to get proactive. We're going to put the phones down. That's wise. We're going to get more family time. That's wisdom. You know, like yes. sometimes fear drives us to some really positive things. Yeah, and it's our cry out for help. Yep. Just shows that you need help. And I think that there's absolutely—there's so much health in that. Just saying, mm-hmm. gosh, this is like— damaging me. It's damaging my family around me. And I have got to figure out what this is to make my to make yourself healthier. Like yeah. it is. It's such a big deal. And it really helps if there's somebody else in your home that wants that with you. It's really hard to be the alone, <laughs> the lone voice crying yes. like, we need help. Um, so I would just say, even in your own home, like your nuclear family, find um, partnership in that. Mm. So you're not the only one fighting for something because you'll get a lot further when other people are recognizing that too. Yes. So great. Rebecca, thanks for being yeah, alone. Thanks okay. Okay, your book, Rhythms yes. of Renewal, yes. they can find it where? Anywhere. Books are sold, okay. Amazon, Perfect. Barnes & Noble, you name it. And where yep. can they find you? I'm at Rebecca Lyons, and it's R-E-B-E-K-A-H-L-Y-O-N-S. I always have to caveat that. There you go. And, or RebeccaLyons.com. You can find out about my coaching community, retreats. Um, I have a new Rhythms for Life um, 90-day journal and planner that's coming oh, that's out this awesome. fall okay. in October. Yeah, so you can kind of live and implement your rhythms Love each it. day. Yeah. So great. Well, thanks for all the work you Thank do. You. Seriously, you bring so much hope to a subject that feels hopeless and scary and people can't always have the words or be able to feel like they can grab onto it. And I feel like you do such a great job. Thank you. So thanks for for being on. Absolutely. So guys, make sure to check out all things Rebecca Lyons, uh, her website and her book, Rhythms of Renewal. All right, one of my favorite packages to ever show up on my door is my Tuft and Needle mattress. I've got a couple now, and seriously, I love this mattress. You guys know exactly how it is. When you're juggling the demands of mom and wife and work and friend and so many other things, good sleep is a must. And I've never slept better. Tuft and Needle is the best rated mattress on Amazon with over 100,000 five-star reviews. So try it out. You can get a mattress starting as low as $399. Plus, it ships free. And you can keep it up to 100 nights risk-free. So if I'm wrong, just send it back. Go to TN.com to get started. That's TN.com. Gosh, such a good interview. You guys, this stuff is so freaking real. I mean, I said it on there, but it's true. I remember when I had my panic attack, it was like, it was absolutely terrible. And I know people deal with that stuff all the time. So her being able to guide us through 
what to do in those moments and just talk about this uncomfortable subject of anxiety. It's so crucial. So I hope you guys learned something from that. Uh, oh, it's so, so powerful. All right, we're gonna shift a little bit to a lighter note because one of my favorite Disney movies is Inside Out. I remember seeing it in the theaters and I was like, this is brilliant. It's so good. It's so clever. It's so funny. So I thought, man, I gotta tie all these emotions to spending because, well, again, emotions can cause you to spend. Has someone ever said to you, oh, are you having a bad day? Go treat yourself. You deserve it. Go shopping. Feel better. Uh-huh. Yep. Emotions affect our spending. So let's dive in to emotional spending. Oh, emotions. You gotta love them. We all have them. Some people, <laughs> I think, do you have emotions? Yeah, they're in there. They're in there. I know they are. And then others, you just kind of wear them on your sleeve. Well, we all have emotions, and emotions can dictate a lot of the decisions we make in life. Sometimes that's good, sometimes that's bad, depending on what it is. And so I've realized that my spending and sometimes the way I manage my money corresponds, like right there together with how I feel, my emotions in the moment. And again, not always the wisest thing in the world, but it happens. So my girls have been watching Inside Out, a brilliant movie. I mean, obviously it's Disney, so I'm going to love it. But also I'm like, this is like a counseling session, like (laughs) understanding your core emotions. It's so important. And they do such a funny job, you know, displaying that on Inside Out. So I thought, okay, what if I take some of those emotions, some of the main emotions and figure out, okay, what is that? How does that translate to spending? Because it does. So let's take the, let's take joy. Supposedly all the emotions are good, but they, some of them feel negative, even though they're all good. They're all good. That's what I hear. All the emotions are good, but joy is my favorite, obviously. So when joy comes in, it's like, yeah, everything's great. Oh my gosh. Okay. I'm feeling great. I'll pay for everyone's dinner. Or Amelia's, she's like just doing great. And Carolyn's doing great. I'm like, girls, let's go to Sonic and get some milkshakes. Like, let's just go. Let's go. Like, when I get so happy in life, that's when I spend more. And I'm like, oh, it's been great. It's so fun. Or like, let's just have a bunch of people over. Guys, we'll we'll get dinner. Don't worry. Don't worry. Come over. Come over. And I get so excited, so joyful. I end up spending money. (laughs) Sometimes too much money because I get so excited. And I'm just so joyful. It's great. But that's my favorite emotion for sure. And then there's sadness, and it's like, oh, man, maybe you're sitting on the couch watching The Bachelor, and you're like, does anyone love me? Like, am I ever going to find a spouse? And it's like, oh, yeah. Uh." So you get on social media, and you just see clothes, and you're like, oh, that feels good. I'm just going to buy that, and that, and that. I'll be fine. I want that, too. Oh, my gosh. Oh, that makes me feel a little better. And you cope your sadness with spending. But that happens. Anger. Oh, anger. You know, you're driving down the interstate, minding your own business, doing your own thing, out and about after quarantine. You're good. Well, someone cuts you off. And you're just like, what the? Does anyone have respect for anyone on the road? Like, what is what is happening? Hello? Do you not see me? I'm right here. Like, I'm a car. I'm a car right here. I'm a black car. Do you see it? Do you see it? No, you don't see it because you just absolutely cut me off. And the anger comes. And then you see Chick-fil-A there off the exit. And you're like, give me a chicken biscuit. I'm going. Give me that spicy chicken sandwich. Combo number three, please. And sometimes you just feel like I just just need to do something. I just need to spend some money because the anger is there. Does that happen? Anyone? Anyone? Is it just me? It's just me? Mm -hmm. Well, I wish the only time I spent money at Chick-fil-A is when I was angry because at least that would put like a boundary on my amount of spending on Chick-fil-A. But (laughs) I love my chicken biscuits. And then there's disgust. 
who I think is really funny on the Inside Out movie. She makes me laugh. But you know that feeling like you get back from Christmas and there's that coworker that just, oh, gets on your nerves, says things to you that sometimes hurt your feelings. Sometimes you just roll your eyes and you're like, oh my gosh, you just can't take them. And there they are bebopping around with a new purse. And you're like, oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Of course she does. Of course she has it. It's cute. Don't like her. She has it. Ugh. Well, if she has it, then maybe I should just have it. And you go and you spend money. Disgust. It can happen. And then last but not least is fear. And maybe you were home during quarantine. Your dad's out there that may not be home all the time. And you're like, these kids eat all the time. Like, we have to have snacks. If we don't have snacks, what are they going to do? They're, like, going to take over the house. And uh, we got to have snacks. I got to go get snacks. So you just go and you just pile up. You go to Sam's. You go to Costco, wherever it is. And you just get tons of snacks. You're like, I can't. I got everyone has to be good. Is everyone good? All the eating? Are we good? And then, like, toilet paper, you know, the shortage of toilet paper at the beginning of quarantine. You freak out. And you're the ones that go out and you stockpile. And you just buy and buy and buy and buy and buy and buy before they put limits on it. And you're like, okay, are we good? If something happens— Are we good? The fear takes over. That's another emotion that I feel like I can, I can, I can play into that real easily. Mm -hmm. You're like, I just need to make sure everything's good. And I'm going to buy this for this, for this. I always think about this. Like I never want to run out of formula for Charles. So I have like 10 things of formula in my pantry at all times. So when he turns a year and he drinks whole milk, I'm going to like have to take all these formulas back. But I'm like, I just need to make sure it's good. Are we good? Are we good? That's me. I'm like an overstocker sometimes. It's the fear where it's like, I could go out and get it. You can go out and get it. You're going to be okay. You're going to be okay without snacks. You're going to be okay because you can go buy for it. It's fine. It's fine. But the fear, man, makes you spend so much money, so much money. So does all those examples, have they happened before in your life? Have, has an emotion driven you to spend? Of course, of course. But is it a good thing? Oh, not really, not really. I can sometimes make it an excuse and be like, well, listen, I was feeling great. I just want to spend some money. But listen, you cannot let your emotions dictate your spending. And this is really important because a lot of people do this. And in the research of my new book, this is what I found. It's like, wow, this happens a lot. And what happens is you're glossing over, you're medicating, spending money with the true emotion instead of stopping and actually dealing with what's going on inside of you, which is really, really important. So a lot of people, there's different outlets they have in their life. And for some people, it is spending money. Depending on the emotion that they have, they end up just spending a ton. So again, yes, we all have emotions and spending money is attached to them. But remember, deal with the emotion and know your money tendencies. So to figure out yours, you can click the link below and take my new money quiz, all figuring out your spending and money tendencies. It's so great. So make sure to take it, figure out the results, and I hope that helps you on your money journey. Again, I love Disney. Y'all know this. All right. I'm going to answer a question from Katie in my Facebook community. She says, in baby step two, we decided to go into store mode since we are healthcare workers. When do you decide to throw some money at debt again? How much would you keep aside if the concern is being off work due to getting sick, but work is very stable otherwise? Yeah. So Katie, you're in a profession that's more than likely, you're still going to be employed. Healthcare workers, for the most part, are working. So if you know that you're not not in a position where you're going to be laid off or furloughed, I would go ahead and start transitioning money to paying off debt, getting back into your routine. Now, you can have a larger emergency fund, more than $1,000. Maybe it's a month's worth. You can decide on your comfort level because you do know that you're in an industry that if you get this or if you test positive, then you are going to be out for two weeks 
And I don't know if you'll get paychecks during that time. I don't know what your situation is. So what you have to figure out is, okay, if we do get sick, we have to be quarantined for two weeks. Am I still going to get a paycheck? If the answer is no, then have that money set aside. But I would continue on the baby steps. I would continue at throwing money at your debt. Because again, your job is stable, is what you've said. And so that's what's key. Now, if you are in a position where later on you see, okay, my department is getting cut or whatever the case may be, then pull back again, press pause and save up cash. But until that happens, continue down the baby steps. And I know that we've all had major questions because of the pandemic, you guys. And again, the rule of thumb is if you know that a layoff is coming, pause, pause and pile up. But if you know a layoff is not coming because we're months into this and if your business is still trucking along and you're still getting a paycheck, you've heard no no uh, whispers around that people are going to be furloughed or laid off, continue on paying off your debt or building up your emergency fund wherever you are. So that's the key. It, it's really hard because again, we can base so many decisions just on fear, but focus on the facts. And I love what Katie said. Hey, if we test positive, we're going to be out for two weeks and we'll not get a paycheck. Well, if that's the case, then build up a little two-week emergency fund and have it there. So do what you need to do because man, it is it is tough for sure, still tough, but there's still hope. I mean, people are going back to work. People are not, even though there's millions that are unemployed, there are still millions that are not unemployed. So continue down this progress and this step. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that episode. Again, emotions are so, so key to naming it and understanding why you handle money the way you do. If you've not hit that subscribe button on the podcast, make sure you do that. And if the spirit leads, you can leave a review. And as always, make sure you take control of your money and create a life you love. So if you guys enjoyed this podcast, we have more from the Ramsey Network, like The Ken Coleman Show. According to a recent Gallup poll, nearly 70% of Americans are disengaged at work. If you dread going into work every Monday morning and you're just trying to make it to the weekend, The Ken Coleman Show is for you. Everyone has a sweet spot. Your sweet spot is at the intersection of your greatest talent and greatest passion. We will help you discover what it is you were born to do, and then we'll help you create a plan to make your dream job a reality. You matter, and you have what it takes. Join the conversation on The Ken Coleman Show. To hear full episodes, just search Ken Coleman wherever you listen to podcasts or go to kencolemanshow.com.